All right. Good morning. How are y'all? You sure? You okay? All right. Three people are good. That's good. That's a good start. Well, hey, uh, welcome to part two of our three-part series uh, entitled Christ and All, uh, as we kind of look at what does it look like to bring Christ into every area of our lives. Um, I realized as I was preparing this week that uh, this summer will probably kind of be like the summer of conviction here at the well. All right. Uh, we're doing James next after we're done with kind of Christ and All, which James is like drop kick after drop kick after drop kick in the mouth. All right. Um, and so, and then this week we're kind of talking about evangelism. What does that look like? Which is hard. I listened to Bob's sermon last week um, because my brother got married in North Carolina, so I wasn't here. But listened to it online, I was like, "Dag, that's kind of hard." And for those of you who don't speak Ebonics, "dag" is kind of like "wowzers." That was intense. All right, that's uh, the the translation there. All right. So I apologize in advance about uh, the scripture just kind of hitting us hard here. But uh, I'm also excited about it. I think that the Word of God has a lot uh, to tell us. We got extreme. Right? We went from uh, the uh, apostle of love in John and spent a ton of time in there to like the exact opposite in James, all right? And so I'm excited to see that dichotomy. Uh, we'll uh, do Psalms or something like that afterwards to kind of ease us back in, all right? Um, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Acts chapter 18. We're not going to leave that chapter today, so you can rest there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take and keep that Bible. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have the word, be able to read it, use it. So please take that. That's our gift. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you want to do that. Uh, if you have the version app, if you type in the tab section and click on live, type in the well Austin, you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there's notes, uh, poll questions, stuff like that. If you don't have version, or some people call it the Bible app, but you still want to follow along, you can type this link right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way. So uh, we want you to see the word. We want you to know that we're teaching from it. We're not just kind of making things up. So we wanted to be in front of you. So whatever way you like to do that, that would be great. Um, before we uh, dive into the text, I actually kind of want to give a little bit of direction of the sermon today, okay? Um, that's in, that means the Holy Spirit's moving throughout the, all right? For those of you who didn't see the lights flickering, that may be distracting. So just trying to be distracted by it. Now I'm blind because I looked at the light. I can't see any of you, all right? But um, today uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Christ where we work, okay? Now we're not talking about how to work for Christ or how to work hard or work well at our jobs, all right, that's not what we're talking about. Though I will admit that is often a good precursor for the gospel is actually doing your work well. Okay, but that's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're also not going to be talking about how to represent Christ at our or at our job in our hard work. Okay, so for example, like God is a cultivator, and so as image bearers or people created in the Imago Day, we too are meant to be cultivators. Or God is a creator, and He creates very well. Right? Hence in Genesis, you see over and over again, and he said it was good, and he said it was good, and he said it was good. He said it was very good. He's a good creator. And so we too who are creative should be creating well. Those things are very true. Okay, but that's not the direction that we're going to be going with this today. The direction we're going to be going is how is it that we actually bring the gospel of Jesus into the places where God has called us to work? 
That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, back in the fall, we did do a seven-week series on all those topics that we kind of just talked about. How do we work well? What is our call in life? How do we respond to that call? And so if you're struggling with that, if you want to wrestle with that more, I would encourage you, go back and listen to that. We just did them not that long ago. Um, But today we're going to be talking more along an evangelistic sense, okay? And so that's kind of where we're going to be going, um, intentionally sharing the gospel. How do we bring Christ in all? Last week, Bob talked about how do you bring Christ into where you play, right? The things that you do, the things that you like to do, how is it that you bring Christ there, okay? And today we're going to be covering work. Our mission statement at the well is to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God, all right? That's our mission statement. That's uh, what our goal is. That's what we want to do as a people, all right? Now, the how in how we're going to do this is actually broken down into three kind of different things. And there are three words that you can kind of grasp onto very easily, all right? The first word is exalt. The second word is disciple. And the third word is send. Those three words are kind of how we're going to be measuring our success, if you will, at the well. How do we exalt Christ? How do we make and reproduce disciples? And how is it that we live as sent lives and send others out for the sake of the gospel? And so corporately, we want to do this. Individually, we want to do this. We want to see disciples reproduce at an extremely high rate right? A disciple reproduces one of the biggest things that you can do for the kingdom of God. And so we want to help train in how to do that. And we want to be able to uh, accomplish this as part of not only our mission, but what we feel like scripture has called us to be. The third piece within that is send, right? Send. How is it that we as individuals and as a church can live sent lives? That's kind of what success is. And we want to send as many people as humanly possible that one individual church can do. That's our end goal. That's how, that's what we want to do. That's how we accomplish our mission statement is to send as many people as possible. So church planners, missionaries, yes, but even your own individual lives, how do you live a sent life? Okay, so not just kind of the, the big, if you will, the, the church plant missionary, that's how we often think of when we think of sending, but even in your own individual life, how is it that you can be a sent person? And the greatest success that we can have is to live like sent people to impact the world for his glory. And so in John, what we just covered, it highlighted the exalt piece a ton. Look at Christ, look at Christ, look at Christ, right? That's John's message. And we will cover discipleship at other times, but this series is focusing on the sin piece. How do we as Christians live sent lives, all right? And so uh, we made up a word uh, in the church to kind of measure success, if you will, and the word is sentness, all right? Now don't Google it or look it up because it'll underline red if you type that in word. Sentness is not a word, all right? But that's what, luckily, Catherine Pacina isn't here. They just had their baby, by the way. Ken and Catherine did, for those of you who know. Um, she is a wordsmith and she hates when I make up words and kind of use them at random. We did it very purposely in our church, all right? To live a sent lives. How do we uh, send as many people as possible? This was how we're going to measure what we're doing. That's what the sermon is kind of focused on today, is how do we as a congregation live sent lives? God has given us a great opportunity and a privilege to make his name known to all. But we often fear for one reason or another on how to do that. We fear about what that will look like. I know y'all are distracted. I see you looking up at the lights. All right, here you come on, try to focus, all right? But so Christ where you work, 
okay? How do you share the gospel or your story or the beauty of Jesus at your job? And scripture gives us many examples of this, okay? But the one that kind of stood out to me, I mean, like uh, painfully stood out to me this week was in Acts chapter 18. It just exploded off the page. And so that's where we'll be, Acts 18. We're actually only going to look at four verses here, okay? And so Acts chapter 18, and we're gonna pick it up in verse one. Let's read all four verses. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So a little background on Aquila and Priscilla, all right? They were a married couple and they had a pretty good business going on. They were tent makers. Priscilla was either Jewish or she could have been Roman. Her name uh, uh, is a Latin phrase for long life. So it's likely that maybe her father was of Roman descent. Aquila is a Jew by birth, both in name and his father and mother. You can tell they're Jewish, all right? And so we see in verse two, they had both just come from Corinth uh, because of persecution, or to Corinth from Italy because of persecution that was happening there in Italy. Now, this persecution likely was not persecution because they were Christians. That's what we're familiar with. It was likely persecution because they were Jews, or at least Aquila was a Jew, okay? And so they didn't like the Jews at the time, and so they said, you all need to get out, go back to your hometown. And so uh, they left, and they went back to Corinth, all right? Now, I say this because I actually want you to think about Aquila's life before we kind of dive into Paul's strategy with them. Aquila probably had a little bit of a sucky life, right? Like we usually don't uh, think about this character as much, but just think about it. He's from uh, Israel, or he's at least Jewish. At some point, he had to leave, maybe through exile or something else, into Italy. Then he just got shipped back out into uh, uh, Corinth again. And so he's being displaced, having to move all around, right? Now, for those of you who have ever been in another culture, that's hard enough in and of itself, right? Like to move from one culture into another culture. I mean, part of the thing that I actually love about the well is all the culture that we have. Every week you may get English reading or you may get Korean reading, right? And we have a lot of culture. Man, just talk to some of them and ask them, was it hard when you came over? They would say, yes, it's hard. To learn a new language, to learn new food. When I was in China last year, uh, uh, I stuck my uh, chopstick into the rice and all the Chinese people freaked out. All right. Now one person smiled and laughed because there's one person who knows what that means. The rest of y'all are like, okay, you suck your chopstick in rice. What that means is that you're wishing death upon someone. All right. Now I just thought that it was just like a good placeholder. All right. Like the rice held my chopstick well, you know. I didn't know. And so that's weird for me because they're like, oh no. And I had to kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm really sorry. And they're like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And I had to throw my rice away. All right. And so it's weird when you transition cultures, right? Aquila has just left another culture again. He's in a brand new culture again. And so his life may not be that clean, that, that fun, that nice, right? And now this chapter, by the way, I mind you, comes right after chapter 17. In chapter 17, toward the end of the chapter, verses 24 and on, we get this beautiful expression that Paul says, God has placed every single person in the family that he was born in and in the places that he or she should live so that they may have the best opportunity at coming to know who God is. That means you and I were born to the parents we were born to, whether we like them or not. 
we were living in Detroit in my case, or, or Dallas, or Houston, or Austin, wherever, and now God has orchestrated our lives in Austin so that we may have the best chance to come in and know who Jesus is. That's what that truth says. Well, that same thing is true for Aquila, born a Jew, now being exiled into Corinth. That may have been part of God's greater plan to help Aquila come into a relationship with the Lord by meeting the Apostle Paul, which says two things, just real quick practical application. Sometimes your suckiness in life is actually God doing it to help you know who he is, okay? Sometimes the, the, the weird situations, the things you don't like may be happening because God wants you to know who he is. He may be orchestrating your life to put you in front of a person or to put you in a church or to put you with a group of people or to just have you experience God so that you may feel your way toward him, Acts 17 says, because that's where true life is found. And so I grew up in a really rough household, a very impoverished uh, area, lots of abuse going on, lots of all different things. And if you know me, you know part of that story. I, mean, I praise the Lord for that because I know him now. God orchestrated my life so that I might know him. If I grew up in Westlake, Rich, I may not know Jesus. My life may have felt better, but it would not have been better, right? And so God is orchestrating that. That same thing is true for the people around us too, though. So not just our lives, but the people around us, which means your coworkers, your neighbors, the people you play with, they may be in your life for a specific season or a specific reason that they might find their way toward God. God may have orchestrated it so that they may come to Austin, that they may figure out who he is because God wants all people to be saved. This is what's going on with Aquila. He got sent over here to Paul, and now Paul's using this opportunity to be able to share with him about who Jesus is and to, and to try to help him see the beauty and the glory of the gospel, okay? Now, this text gives us five things that Paul did. All right, there are five things that Paul did with Aquila and Priscilla to help them kind of see who Jesus is and kind of live that out. And I think that they could apply very well into our lives today, okay? We could spend a ton of time in each one of them, which if you know me, you'd know I'd like to. But I'm going to try to be accountable to you all and spend two to three minutes per each one, all right? Nobody laughed. Y'all must be more new or something because the people who are here for a while know that's hard for me to do, right? Uh, we're going to try to spend two or three minutes in just each one of those, all right? And so we're going to chop through them really quickly, but I want you to focus on them because they're very important for our life. Beginning in verse two, all right? The first phrase that we see is he found. The he there is Paul. He found. So Paul either went out or uh, somehow found uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, right? I don't know, maybe they were at a trade show, maybe they were uh, 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 selling in booths next to each other. Somehow he went out and he found, okay? And so what do we see from this? What do we see? What is the implication of that? Well, we see that Paul was seeking. He found his active, meaning he was going, he was seeking them. And so Paul didn't just sit around and wait for something to happen. He was actually seeking Priscilla and Aquila. And oftentimes this is one of our biggest problems, right? We're waiting for someone to come to us and kind of plead with us about who Jesus is. We're waiting for them to come and just ask and, hey, can you tell me about the gospel? Except if you're like me, that's never happened. Paul was active. He was seeking somebody out, right? And just as Juan read today in the scriptures, Romans says, how can they call on someone they've not heard of? How can they call on someone they have not heard of? Now, maybe they've heard of Jesus, but they don't know who he is, right? They may have been burned by a church, or they may have a media picture of Jesus, but not a biblical picture of Jesus, not the God that's filled with both holiness, but also divine love and grace and mercy. They may not see that. 
And so how can they call upon that God who they do not know? Paul is seeking them. Paul went and he found. And by the way, we're living in a post-Christian society. It's not rare that you meet somebody who actually just straight up does not know who Jesus is. I mean, know the name a little bit, little snippets of what he's done, but wouldn't be able to articulate almost anything. Paul was in that and Paul saw it. Next verse, verse two, or still in verse two, it says that uh, he went, okay? So he found and then he went. And so what do we see here? We see that Paul was purposeful, all right? Paul was purposeful or he was active in that. Paul found someone and then he went to them. So he didn't just sit around, but he also didn't just find them and then that's it. Just find them and then say, oh, cool, I found somebody, that's, that's it, right? But he actually went to them. He was active. He began a relationship, probably started talking about tent stuff, okay? I don't know how to make a tent. I don't know how to make anything for that matter, all right? I have a hard time making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, let alone a tent, all right? But Paul did, and so he was active trying to uh, uh, dialogue about uh, tent making and how you use the goat's hair to wire together the string. I don't know, whatever they were talking about. He went to them, though right? He found them and then he went to them. And if you don't think Paul was active, by the way, wait till we get to verse four and that'll show us. Verse three, he was, okay? He went or he found, he went, he was is the next part. What does this tell us? It tells us that Paul identified with them. Paul identified with them. Now, this is the easiest one for you to do, okay? Because you work with the people that you work with. You tracking with that? All right, are you all awake? You're all here, okay? You work with the people you work with already, right? So there's already an automatic identification there. And this is honestly where it's harder, uh, hardest, honestly, for me, is no one identifies with a pastor, except for other really weird pastors, okay? Besides that, it's hard to find identification, okay? And so they don't know what I do on a day-in, day-out basis. Many of you may not, actually. So they think it's weird, and they're usually afraid immediately, okay? Because they think that I'm like the spiritual police or like a spiritual psycho, all right? The second one may be a little bit true, okay? But the people you work with can identify with you because 95% of the time, y'all are doing the exact same thing. Or at least you're feeding off of one another and what you're doing, right? And so you both make beer, right? Or you both drive trucks or you both teach, right? Uh, you're both stay-at-home moms, and you know the hard job that is and the struggles and the victories there. You both fix cars or you both uh, fax papers. Does anybody fax anymore? You both email papers or whatever, all right? Uh, identification is helpful because it helps you to feel relatable and relatability is part of having a relationship. You tracking with that? Right? And so this isn't a project-oriented thing where we create a project out of somebody and try to do something to get them to hear about Jesus. No, we want a relationship. And when we get that relationship, we begin to love them. But because we do love the Lord and know how good he is, we want them to know that same love. So when you are relatable, you are able to have more of a relationship. Right? You see how those two words have the same root there? And so Paul identified with them. He became relatable, right? For example, when I'm around computer guys, I don't know computer language, okay? And so it's really hard for me to be relatable. It's just hard for me to connect with them. They use language that makes me feel like when Jawan was reading scripture today, all right? It may sound really beautiful, but I have no idea what's actually being said, right? She could have been like, Tori's a really bad pastor. You should all leave this church. I would have had no idea, right? And that's often what happens, right? When, when I'm around computer people, they're like a, a, a hard drive. I'm like, did you see LeBron James's hard drive to the rim the other day? Like, I have no idea, right? They're two different languages to me, okay? But you, you work with the people that you work with. 
You can relate to them. Paul identified, identify, be with them, begin to talk that language, build that relationship, okay? Still in verse three, it says he stayed, all right? Now, this is more acceptable in that culture, all right? I'm not telling you to ask your coworker if you can move in with them, all right? That may be a little bit awkward, particularly if you don't know them that well, okay? But what we do see, and the, the, the point for us is that Paul was persistent. Paul was persistent or he kept a relationship with them. He was continually around them. Now this we can do, right? Because we work eight hours a day. Well, we may not be working eight hours a day, but we're at work for eight hours a day, right? And we're with the same people all the time, meaning it automatically gives us the ability to be persistent. If we're active and purposeful, like we saw earlier, and then we maintain that, we're in the office, we're purposeful, we're going to lunch with them, we're, we're talking a little bit during those little two or three minute breaks that you take every once in a while. Hey, come look at this on Facebook. Hey, did you hear about this? Hey, there can be persistence. And that's what Paul did with them. He maintained a relationship. He continued. Finally, in verse four, it says that Paul reasoned, or he reasoned, okay? So you see all the he did something verbs there? Paul, he found, he sought, he reasoned with them. Now, this was uh, with everyone, I will admit that, but it was also very likely with Aquila and Priscilla. One, because Aquila was a Jew, which means he went to the synagogue. All Jews went to the synagogue, all right? So it was likely that they went, and if he's staying with Paul, he likely went with Paul. So Paul shared the gospel, or Paul evangelized them. That's the fifth kind of application point there. He reasoned trying to show, hey, no, look, Jesus is real. Hey, he is God. Hey, he is good. And he reasoned with them. He shared the gospel with them. After finding them and meeting them, so not being an isolationist or not being passive, he went and found them. Then he was active in, being, in building a relationship. After he built that relationship, he identified with their trade, with what they did. He was persistent in that relationship, maintained it, if you will, and then he shared the gospel with them. Paul gives us a great strategy of how we can bring the gospel into our jobs today. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, okay? Because what are the results of Aquila and Priscilla? Scripture actually gives us some very beautiful things. Now, Luke, by the way, in in verse 2 there, says that Aquila was a Jew, All right. Now he may have been telling us why he was exiled, but he also may have been telling us that he didn't yet understand who Jesus was. He was a Jew. He had some back understanding of Yahweh, of God, but he may not have fully understood who Jesus was. So scholars were split on whether or not they were saved before they met Paul. What we know is that they definitely uh, uh, excelled in their faith post-Paul because we don't see any example of them beforehand. And then they start doing crazy things like jump down to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him, Priscilla and Aquila, right? So boom, they all of a sudden go on a missionary journey with Paul. So apparently they got saved and now they're on a missionary journey with him. So Paul is helping them understand how they too can begin to share the gospel with others. And did they? Well, look at verse 26. He, this is Apollos, the he is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they took Apollos, the same strategy as Paul. They were active, they were purposeful, and they explained the gospel to him more fully. And in case you didn't know, Apollos was a beast. All right? In 1 Corinthians, Apollos is named on the same level as Peter and Paul. The Corinthian church says, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Apollos. 
That means this man who they got to help see his conversion ended up being apparently one of the great leaders of the church. And so you see this process happening there. And what did they do? Well, they, just like Paul did with them, took Apollos, who was probably like a negative two, like we talked about last week on that scalability, where are they at? And they helped him move to a negative one, to a zero, and they began to build him up. They taught him more and more about who Jesus was. And Apollos went from a zero to a one, to a two, et cetera, and they did discipleship. They helped him come and know Jesus, and they followed through with him in that process to where Apollos became one of the great leaders of the early church. But this all started back when Paul was purposeful at his job. He's just tent making. There's nothing spiritual about that, right? I mean, he wasn't being a pastor fully, but he was being a missionary because every person who knows Jesus is automatically a missionary for him. They are meant to represent who Jesus is. That's why scripture says we are ambassadors meant to show people who God is. If you have professed faith in Jesus, you are a missionary. You don't have to go to China, you are one. So Paul was living that lifestyle through his work and then we get Aquila and Priscilla. That's a beautiful story of the gospel at work, right? Now, here's the trick behind that, okay? And there's one thing that we didn't talk about, but I do know it's important, all right? Paul had boldness and this is often what we lack, right? If you don't want to agree with me, I'll just speak for myself. I often lack boldness. It's hard for me sometimes to share the gospel because I'm afraid of what people may say or what they may think of me. And I want to keep a self-image up. I want them to glorify me more than I want them to glorify God, if I'm going to be honest. And so I won't say anything because I'm more concerned with my self-image. Boldness is hard sometimes, but Paul clearly had boldness, right? And obedience, so Christ called Paul to go make disciples. Paul was bold enough to do it and obey Jesus in that. Well, Jesus called all of us to go make disciples. But boldness and obedience is often what we lack. Boldness and obedience. B-O. All right. That's what we often, now listen, don't front. B-O stinks sometimes, right? Doesn't it? Y'all are never musty or something? B-O stinks sometimes, right? Sometimes it stinks. First Corinthians actually makes that really clear. It says that the gospel is the aroma of death to some. It doesn't hide this. It is ugly smelling to people sometimes. You ever smell death? A bird ever died around you or, or something in your house? And you're like, what? death stinks. And it says the aroma of death to some. But to those who are being saved, it is the aroma of life. It's beautiful. It's fragrant. It's awesome right? So when we hear B.O., we often think bad, but B.O. can be good too, right? Like, I love my wife's B.O., all right? Like, and not with perfume on. I just think her skin smells good, okay? Am I taking this too far? Whenever you hear B.O., I want you to think boldness and obedience, all right? It's going to work, okay? You know who else has good B.O.? Joey does. Is that weird? Every time I hug him, I'm like, man, you smell good. You smells good, all right? Look, sometimes our boldness and our obedience creates a good smelling fragrance to those around us. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's not, scripture doesn't say, well, figure out who it does or it doesn't. It just says be bold and obedient. Some people will hate it, but some people will see the power of God through it. They will be saved. Friends, you and I have an opportunity to make a drastic difference in the world, to impact all of eternity, because the tents that Paul made aren't around anymore. Aquila and Priscilla are though. 
they're in heaven. Apollos is, he's in heaven. All of the people that Apollos preached to because he was a preacher and they got saved, they are. The tents aren't around, but, but, but the gospel fruit is. We have an opportunity to create gospel fruit, right? Now here's what I wanna do. I have a video that I wanna show us here in a second because I think that oftentimes we get a wrong perspective of what, what people might think when we share the gospel with them, okay? We, what, what they might perceive of us, all right? This video is from a guy named Penn, a Penn and Teller. Some of you have probably actually seen this video before. It's a kind of popular video, all right? But Penn is a staunch atheist, okay? And he may use some language in this video. To be honest, I didn't really remember. So sorry, all right? Hopefully that's not offensive to you, but he, just, he does not believe in God, all right? But he had a, a guy come share the gospel with him one day, and this is what he said about it. Let's watch it. There we go. You can play it from there. You can play it from there. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye. He did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive and he looked me <coughs> right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because 
it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. So what does he think about Christians before this guy? In the video, I think it's pretty obvious because he used the word sane like seven times, right? He was sane. He wasn't crazy. He was like sane. He was normal. He kept saying that, right? So his perception, these crazy dudes that kind of come along, in comes this businessman who just gives him a Bible, okay? He didn't even work with this man, right? He just saw him at his work, came in, boom, gave him a Bible, said he had five phone numbers for him, right? I mean, if you ever think about this, and it impacted him. You can tell that, right? This dude is a strong atheist and said that even at the end. I think religion does a lot of bad things. But somebody was bold and obedient to what God had called them to do and went and did it with this man, right? And the man didn't reject him. In fact, he actually thought very sanely about Christianity and the gospel in general. Because what he ends up saying was, if you believe this this much, you need to share this. Now, everybody won't respond like that, right? In fact, Paul was killed for preaching the gospel. And sometimes persecution may come. But sometimes stuff like this could come where even if Penn was a negative eight and after this guy, he was a negative 7.8, the needle didn't move that much, but it began to move and he was being obedient to what God called him to do, okay? We can do this at our jobs. We can do this at our work. Now, I have a ton of stories that I feel like as I worked and as I thought about different places where God had brought me and my job, I got to see a lot of beautiful things, but I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say that, right? And so what I want to do is I want to bring up Austin Deardorf right now. Um, Austin, she's a normal member at the well, okay? A normal guy playing the piano today, all right? Um, give him a hand. He wanted you to give him a hand. You didn't see him? <laughs> all right? And so um, I want to tell a story from another perspective, okay, of Austin and the gospel at work, all right? So Austin, give us real quick. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is Austin. <clears throat> uh, I made him cry. Did you hear that? The sermon was making him cry. <laughs> I was so moved by that video. Actually, I was upset because I had no intro music, and every week you come up here with Oh, uh, sorry. I, I felt that. Sorry. We'll work on that. All right. <laughs> okay. uh, I work downtown, office job, pushing papers. Uh, 
that's about it. Yeah. Cool. Computer stuff. So tell us kind of what, what did you do at job? How, how do you feel like God called you to bring the gospel to work? Uh, so I had a coworker that I was very close with, good friends, and we'd had some spiritual conversations and whatnot, and they actually expressed interest in wanting to read through the Bible. This was conveniently the week before the new year. So I was like, hey, my church is doing this thing. What if we do this together? So the two of us started every week meeting one day for lunch to talk about what we've been reading. That's great. And how's it, how's it been going? Uh, so since that, uh, just eavesdropping on other conversations and getting to know other people at work, uh, you hear like, oh, I go to church somewhere, I do this or that, and we started inviting a couple of people. So one of my coworkers uh, who goes to a different church told her we were doing this, invited her. She was really interested. So she started coming. There was three of us. Um, one of the other person's coworkers uh, also heard of it, became interested. So they started coming, and it's just kind of slowly grown since then. Totally. Uh, so you have four people coming right now. Started kind of in the new year. Four consistently right now, yes. Yeah, that's cool. And then has there been any other kind of interests or, or loosely uh, other been stories? There's a couple other people who have been invited and will likely start coming within the next week or so. Uh, there's been a couple of people who I invited and then heard nothing back from, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm being obedient. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And so, I mean, and be honest, do you feel like there are any like fireworks stories or any like, or do you like, what do you feel like, what is your joy kind of, I guess, behind this? Uh, I would say my joy has been largely how easy it's kind of been that there haven't been any fireworks. I don't feel like I did anything crazy. Uh, in fact, the the initial reason we even did this was, wasn't even my idea. Uh, <laughs> someone just approached me and even because the church was doing something, it started something that from that has grown, uh, even though I feel like I haven't, I haven't really done anything. Oh, that's great. You want to share anything else? Uh, it's been great. I recommend it. So if uh, anyone out there is in the office, you should, you should do something like this. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Sam. Give him a hand. Okay, now the reason that we brought up Austin this week and the reason that we brought up Sandra last week, if you were here last week, is very purposeful, okay? Because, I'm being honest, we could have brought up some really, really, really crazy stories, okay? There's somebody who's seen multiple people at his job accept Christ, like tons of different people, and he has a ton of fruit. But I know what happens when we see that person is we go, well, I can never be that, Right? I can never see 25 people accept Christ at my job, right? You may not even work with 25 people. Man, that's part of the problem, right? <laughs> I can never see, you know, the 12 people come to church because of this person's. I can never, and it would be easy to shove that person off. But Austin's story, Sandra's story, that's very relatable, right? He just started up a Bible study, asked some people if they wanted to come, and then boom, is kicking it. Right? And Austin and I get the privilege of meeting almost every week and we talk about it. And he's right. There hasn't been like unbelievable stories, but you do see progression for some of these people in their faith. Where when they started, I don't know if they would have said they had a strong belief in Jesus, but he just told me a story just this past Wednesday of an a, a, a older lady who's been coming. The relatability between Austin and an old lady is not a lot, <laughs> except for that they work together, right? And she's come in and she was having this problem in her life. And because of the reading they had been doing, the scriptures answered it for her. That makes her trust the Bible more, which makes her see that God may be beautiful and worth following. Boldness and obedience. As Paul walked through that strategy, that's what God is calling for us. We can be bold and we can be obedient. And so you may still feel like, well, how do I do that? I don't know how to share the gospel. That's great. At the end of this sermon series, literally the next week, we're having a two-week evangelism class. 
If you want to learn more about how to share the gospel, why you should be sharing the gospel, the importance of it, strategies for it, I would encourage you to sign up for that class. We'd love to have you. It's free. There, there'll be breakfast. Like, just go there and try to learn more, okay? Um, talking about easy strategies, I would encourage you to do that. But boldness and obedience. Friends, be a sent people. Be a sent people. Let us as a church be a sent church where we don't measure how big we are as success or even how many people get saved as success. That's part of the process. But the rest of it is sentness, right? How many people go out and they themselves live? I implore you and I encourage you, live out the beauty of the gospel that you have received. This is life. This is joy. It's better to give than receive, by the way, scripture says. You think that you coming to Jesus was beautiful? Wait till you get to see somebody else come to Jesus because you gave them what you received. It's even more beautiful and even more fun. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for allowing us the privilege of getting to share who you are, Jesus. God, help us to do that. There are so many motivating factors. There is so much encouragement. I mean, we just got rebuked by an atheist in here. Oh, I, I did. There's so much, God. We need you, the Holy Spirit, to move in our heart, to remind us, to give us obedience where we fall short at, God, because we do fall short. God, I do pray for those people in here who do not know Jesus yet. And I implore you, if you do not know Jesus, I'm glad you're here this week. It's not weird to me that we're talking about evangelism because I do want you to know who Jesus is. We're just afraid sometimes to share with you. Your friend, if you came because somebody invited you, you know how hard that was for them? It's hard to be rejected. And that's why we're talking about this because we know rejection sometimes gets in the way, but this message is more important and we want you to hear that. And I would encourage you that you would even pray to God for God to begin to reveal himself toward you or make your friend be bold and ask them about Jesus. <laughs> hey, why'd you invite me? What does this look like? And I want you to know the Lord too. But for those of us who know Jesus, I pray very simply that God will give us boldness and obedience that we would bring Christ where we play and we would bring Christ where we work and we would represent his beautiful name. Boldness and obedience, Jesus. We collectively pray for that in our hearts in your precious name, amen, amen.